Welcome to the FedSpeak podcast, brought to you by M&I Market News. I'm Pedro DaCosta, and I'm happy to welcome Luke Tilly to the program. Luke is Chief Economist at Wilmington Trust, and he was previously an Officer and Economic Advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. Thanks so much for coming on FedSpeak. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start with Chair Powell's testimony this week, which at least to you know, to my liking, was pretty hawkish. It seems he wanted to at least put 50 basis points on the table, if not make it a guarantee. What did you make of his his remarks? Yeah, um, uh, well, so like a lot of economists, I can give you at least two answers to any question. <laughs> but uh, I I agree with sort of the uh, that overall take. And the most important thing is that he was expressing that 50 basis points uh, should be should be back on the table. And that is sort of an important important takeaway from markets. The other kind of thing that I kind of chafe at when I see headlines, you know, sort of like flashing screens and whatnot, is, you know, the big news that he said, if inflation data comes in higher than they expect, that they might have to hike rates uh, higher than they expected, which is, not, I don't really think of that as news. I think of that as like the evergreen central bank playbook, you know, Do you, if, uh, if uh, rates come in higher, if inflation surprises to the upside, you need to hike more. I guess the alternative would be if he said, uh, if inflation surprises to the upside, we're not going to respond at all with interest rates. So it's kind of like a silly notion uh, if you flip it around that way. So it's not so much news that he said those, that he that he wanted to put 50 basis points back on the table. I, you know, it, it, I do appreciate that that is sort of, sort of news. But I, I really think of it more as just another example of how the Fed has moved towards um, calibrating their policy this year. You know, 2022 was all about, we need to get rates to the restrictive territory. We need to get them up there. We know that we need to get the rates up. And now that they have, they really have moved into more of a calibration mode. And we heard that a lot in you know, January. He had some uh, much softer language. And for the first time, I think was saying, hey, if inflation comes in lower, then we might go the other direction. I think he ever said it was cut rates, but we have a dot plot shows well until until you know coming up soon here it'll change but uh, the current dot plot shows 100 basis points of cuts next year um, so that's coming at some point and they're just really calibrating as the data comes in they're either going to uh, be more aggressive or less aggressive and and mostly i think that that's what he was talking about responding to some of the recent data well do you think that this kind of can i think the issue what made it kind of newsy to me at least was that the notion that the market seemed to finally think that it was it had caught up to the Fed's hawkishness and it had kind of, you know, priced in this new streak of hot data and found a new peak rate that was kind of like the defining one. But to think that we might actually be talking about 6% or higher in polite company seems to be a, a change in tone, a fairly significant one. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And actually, I think this underscores something that has gone a little bit under the radar which was the revisions to the seasonal adjustments within CPI. Now, I realize this, this is deep in the weeds, but the Friday before the most recent CPI report, there were revisions to these seasonal factors. And basically what it did is it dramatically changed the picture of how steady inflation was last year. So we, we look at a lot of things on a, on a three-month annualized basis. Before the revisions, you saw a lot of data that merited the sort of the market exuberance and the fact that Powell was sounding a little bit more dovish because on a three month annualized basis, inflation was at 8% in the middle of, I'm sorry, core inflation was at 8% in the middle of last year. 
it had slowed to 3% in the last three months of the year. That's a dramatic slowdown. Everything was improving. You thought you were near the top. And then with those revisions, they basically shifted a lot of inflation from the first half of the year to the second of the half. And instead of that five percentage point deceleration, that now it's something like a one and a half or two percent deceleration. You know, it didn't go as high in the middle of the year. It was much more stubborn at the end of the year. And that ties directly to the language that we've heard. Um, so in some sense, it's kind of goofy because like none of the transactions that anybody conducted last year, buying and selling changed at all, but you change those seasonal factors and all of a sudden the inflation picture looks a lot worse than it did. And then you get the new CPI number. And, you know, I think the Fed is doing, if that's the best information they have, uh, and now it's like, well, inflation looked a lot more sturdy at the end of the year. Well, then they need to respond in kind with the rate hikes. And that goes back to, to sort of that, that playbook. So do you expect it to be kind of like 150 move if they do it? Or would 50 be a new baseline? Because it seems like they, they do want to get to a pause, you know, before too long. I mean, people were thinking around this summer, but what is what is your base case at the moment for how far they're likely to go? Well, so it's like, is it different from how far they likely to go versus, you know, where do they want to be? I don't know that they want to get to a pause because one implies sort of that desire. I think with the data as it looked a month, month and a half ago, it looked like it was appropriate to get to a pause. And that's where the language was headed, uh, even for sort of, you know, the, the centrist members of the committee, maybe not so much for the hawkish, but that's where the data was pointing. And now the data has changed. So there's the discussion of the 50 basis point. Clearly, it's a possibility, but it's going to depend on the data. We'll get CPI next week. And that's an important one for me because we're going to get past uh, what has been, I think, a lot of seasonal volatility in the data, retail sales and inflation numbers, through the holiday season and then in January. And if it continues to show that real stubbornness in some of these categories that it concern them the most, absolutely, like they'll return to, to 50 basis point hikes. And if it doesn't, then you would expect the 25 basis point slower. I think that the most likely uh, is two 25 basis point hikes or one 50 point hike, getting you to 525 or 550 at the, at the top of the range. And then if we continue to get the slowdown that I think is still there, despite it looking a little different after the, the seasonal adjustment changes, you get to that slowdown of inflation. And it's going to be a very different picture of six months from now. We'll have hit the, that peak. And then the next question will be if they're if they're cutting the point anytime soon. When you look at the CPI on Tuesday, what are you going to be looking for? What parts of the report are you going to be combing through? The Fed is focused on this super core of uh services, ex-housing, but how are you going to be breaking it down? Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know about like, you know, first versus second versus third, but I think the categories that in, this was November, you know, probably the Brookings thing, and that has been focused since then is entirely appropriate. You've got goods, you've got shelter, and then you've got all the, the other services excluding shelter. And, you know, goods kind of surprised to the upside in January after several months of declines and moved back up. I think that that's a little bit more of a head fake and more statistical volatility than, than anything. Um, you know, big jump in medical care goods. And I'll look to that to see if we've returned to the decline in prices of goods, which is what I would expect. The shelter, I think, is really important. Just a minute ago, I was saying I expect this big deceleration in inflation. And a lot of that should come from the shelter component. Pat has talked about this. We're talking about this. All of the data uh, that is about new asking rents and watching that, we know that there's a delay asking rents have been moving down. That really should start to play through to shelter very soon. 
if not in this report, in the next report, because the lags are when you see rents go down, asking rents in apartments in real data, and that's, you know, nine to 12 month lag, but start showing up in the overall CPI data. And we've basically hit that point. We think that it should, should start coming down. So that's an important thing. When you get to the middle of this year, if those lags play out as they usually do, shelter should be dragging inflation uh, down very low numbers. And if it, if shelter were to go negative in the middle of this year, then you'd have some very different overall inflation numbers. And then, of course, you know, you've already mentioned and everybody's focused on the so-called super core and, and services. That's the sort of the problem, the sticking point. It gets a lot of focus because Powell has identified it. But you should also recognize there's some there's some low numbers in there as well. Like medical care services, which is a very big component, you know, that that is running very low. That's some encouraging numbers. Transportation is volatile, mostly because airfare goes up and down with jet fuel prices. I think that that could come back down. And, you know, you sort of have to look across all those categories. How big a deal is the labor market strength that we've been seeing? How big an impediment is it to the Fed's achievement of its inflation target? This is a spot where I might be uh, different from other people <laughs> because I am not perturbed at all by strong job growth just by itself. Like strong job growth by itself and a really strong jobs report in January is not concerning to me at all. It's if it, if it's, it comes with wages, and I'll talk about wages in a second. But what happened in, in January with 517,000 jobs at? Well, not actually. That's, that's the seasonal adjustment. And seasonal adjustment is good. We have to do that. But what actually happened is the overall number of jobs were down by 2.5 after the holidays. Number of jobs down 2.5. But usually they go down by 2.8 to 3 million something like that. And this is reflective of the environment that we're in. Employers did not let go as many jobs as they usually do in January because they've had a hard time getting those workers. So they're going to retain more of them. And I think that we'll return to some more normal rates of growth. I think actually it'll come in below the consensus. Some are where under 200,000. And like I was saying, I think that job growth is probably pretty good. I'd like to see strong leisure and hospitality hiring because that might is that's probably going to be helpful for inflation. Leisure and hospitality sector, on a real basis, is the total amount of spending there is seven percent higher than it was pre-COVID. So that that sector, leisure, hospitality, restaurants, hotels, all of that, their activity is seven percent higher than pre-COVID. They are doing that with three percent less people than they were pre-COVID, and we all feel it. Trying to go to a restaurant or hotel, and you're feeling that, and that is that's inflationary. And the more people you get returning to those jobs, I actually think it helps. The labor market concern that everybody has, which is, I think, valid, and it does contribute to inflation, is the strong wage growth. So uh, the JOLTS report, you know, from yesterday showing some decline in openings, but it's still hot. Uh, that demand for labor is going to be paired with the labor force numbers tomorrow. And what we really need to see is stronger labor force or supply of labor is the way you know, that economists is going to think about it with supply and demand. And if those things continue to improve, then we should continue to see slower wages. So I'm all for strong job growth. I don't think it's a problem. I think strong job growth is a problem all by itself, but we need to continue to see the slowdown in wages. Does that mean that despite this talk of a potentially higher peak rate, that they can, in fact, achieve a soft landing in your view? Can, yeah, they absolutely can uh, achieve a soft landing, or I should say the economy can achieve a soft landing. I think we attribute way too much to the Fed on the Fed's, you know, ability to engineer these things. They're clearly a, a huge part of it. But uh, can they achieve a soft landing? Yes. Uh, we have uh, the official house outlook at Wilmington Trust is a 40% chance of a soft landing. 
55% chance of a mild recession. So obviously our baseline is a mild recession, but a pretty high probability for a soft landing. The way that that happens is if you continue to get um, slowdowns in some of those inflation categories, and if they happen fast enough, the Fed doesn't have to hike as much. And if you get the people returning to the labor force, if you get slower wages, then there's no reason that we should not have a soft land. And the, the, the thing that the deciding factor between recession and uh, soft landing is going to end up being how businesses respond to all of the rate hikes that have happened so far and sort of their cost of credit. Their, I think it has a lot less to do with whether the Fed makes 25 or 50 or 75 more basis points. It has more to do with all the hikes from last year. And if businesses' debt comes due, if they uh, you know, say, wow, that's, that's a pretty good debt bill to roll this over or to borrow, if businesses on mass say we need to cut back on some of that capex we were planning, uh, we need to close some of those job openings that we thought, or we need to let go of people, well, then you've got a recession. I mean, if that happens widespread, then you've got less. That's only the less consumer spending, less capex. You know, it's not too hard to do the GDP numbers and see where that would lead to recession. If companies just kind of slow those things down, but they hold on to their people, you've got yourself lit. Okay, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. That was Lou Tilly. He is chief economist at Wilmington Trust. Really appreciate it. Thank you.